early days of the American frontier, people relied on steam engines to transport them through wild landscapes to spectacular new places. In this current era, we have something that allows for an even greater adventure, the search engine. So make sure you grab your ticket because we are going on a first-class ride across the web. Alright, well welcome to the second part of the radio episode. We left you guys off around Christmas of 1906 with Fessenden broadcasting to all the naval ships a good little Christmas Eve uh, jingle and he read some Bible verses and whatnot as well. So last podcast, our last uh, part was a little bit more informative of basically, you know, the creation of the radio, you know, more scientifically, uh, engineering-wise, all the parts and how it actually worked. Uh, The second little part here is just going to be basically the popularization of radios and homes, uh, a little bit more background information of just, you know, how it actually became something that's and er, everywhere, you know, in every single car, maybe in your home still. Yeah, and so to get started with that, after that Christmas broadcast from Fesedin. He didn't, like I said, didn't do too too much afterwards. But the main like individuals who were using radios at the time were basically just a bunch of engineers and hobbyists. The reason why that was is because since it was such a new technology, if you didn't actually understand how the equipment worked or, you know, how to build it, there wasn't really a way you were going to be able to access it. Uh, And these people that were broadcasting on the radio actually were broadcasting on something that was called a broad spark signal. So basically, instead of having different frequencies that everybody was using, all radio broadcasts were going on the exact same signal. So whoever had the most power pretty much overshadowed anybody else that was trying to use (laughs) the radio at that time and so in doing this a lot of government stations ships other coastal stations basically were getting overpowered by a handful of amateurs who created a little station of their own at home so a lot of times when you know (laughs) people in the military were trying to communicate they would get some random ass person in their basement just (laughs) just starting to talk or playing music or something like that and then the (laughs) military individuals would be like oh my god these fucking hams are jamming you and for some reason i don't know if ham is some way to eat a shortened version of amateur or something like that but the individuals who were doing this as a hobby took the nickname and basically just applied it to themselves in like a fuck you kind of fashion so even though it was meant as an insult they pretty much just you know took it and ran with it um and it's funny because it's still kind of stuck all the way to today where you hear people talking about the ham radio i wasn't too sure what that actually meant until now which is a fun little you know section of history and that lasted the hams taken over for about a solid 15 years and then uh, one of the most popular ham amateurs i will have to say was a man named frank conrad who was actually an engineer for the westinghouse uh electrical company and they worked a decent amount with fessenden back in the day but what he would like to do is just play music and he would tell his friends to you know just hop on in with their radios because you know he was basically probably friends with just a bunch of other engineers at the same company and so they would just listen to their radios and listen to him just playing music and one of the executives at the company he worked for he just heard about it through word of mouth promotion and was like holy shit this would actually be you know 
a really good use for the radio. And they decided to actually set up a a little company of their own, the Westinghouse KDKA. And they started their own broadcasting in 1920 and that was one of the first broadcasting well that was the first broadcasting station you know anywhere in the world and it gained huge popularity uh as you can imagine from all the other hobbyists and tinkerers that were just sitting in their garage listening to it and one of the biggest things that really like it made it you know the most well known is it actually aired the results of the 1920 presidential election before the results could even be read in the papers so people were just like holy shit there's a new way to you know learn about the world and you know much more efficient manner than just waiting for someone to actually type something up so that's basically how broadcasting stations got started and within a quick couple of years stations were popping up all over the world i think the numbers patrick we have some stats that we saved but i believe like within the first couple of years of that station it jumped by over like 500 right 500 stations yeah yeah uh i guess before getting to that uh i had a little thing about the whole term for ham and that uh Hmm. that i guess comes from early uh telegraphers who described in unskilled operator as someone who was ham-fisted and so i guess when sending their messages they you know weren't really typing out the morse code well um and then i guess (laughs) that unskilled operation kind of bled into the uh, the new form of communication there which was uh radio which is pretty interesting that is super interesting what an insult too Dude, you have such a ham fist. <laughs> <laughs> I a thought you would hand. like that one. <laughs> no, um, I really do. That's awesome. But uh, I, yeah, the the number of radio stations really increases a- a- after this first station. In uh, 1921, there were five across the U.S., uh, but then in 1923, only two years later, there were 556 stations. Holy um, shit. So it jumped up very quickly and then kind yeah. of hovered in the low 600s for a number of years. Okay. And then did it we, keep skyrocketing over time or did it just kind of like plateau after that? Well, I only have uh data to 1940 right here, but it got to 765. So it kind of it jumped up, you know, oscillated like up and down a little bit and then just kind of mm-hmm. crept up a little bit. Um Okay. I know now there's kind of been more consolidations and stuff like that, just with some of the bigger companies taking over a number mm. of stations. I don't know how that would be counted, but yeah, I guess it, it started out as pretty niche, as you had said, just because it required mm-hmm. a lot of technical expertise or even knowing Morse code and some of that because some of the transmissions were still more Morse code related instead of actually broadcasting voices and stuff like that but then once it kind of got to the the every person you know it really took off Mm -hmm. with that seeing the kind of explosion of amateur operators there was one company that we might know today who was trying to take advantage of that so as i had mentioned in the the last episode marconi had kind of lost his his rights to broadcast much in the U.S. Um, because the the U.S. had taken over control of radio broadcasting and stuff like that for the war, um, and then afterwards, kind of made it clear that they didn't want a foreign-owned company 
you know, kind of having a monopoly in our country. So uh, his assets were sold to a new company that was created called GE, which had then made a new company to kind of head this radio arm called RCA. And they had kind of a vision where they would have high-powered transmitters in a number of larger markets to kind of dominate most of the U.S., but the company that we know today, AT&T, had another idea where they wanted to string together a number of smaller areas through their wired connections that they already had there so they could easily transmit all of the information uh, city to city and kind of control a whole network of independent but not actually independent radio stations. So they basically were trying to create a whole system where they were kind of a a puppet master letting the local radio stations do what they want, but then if there was anything that would be kind of of national importance, they kind of had to go through AT&T in order to get access to any of that broadcasting that they had together. Yeah. So they were basically trying to create a monopoly there, but then eventually a couple of companies kind of banded together to create a couple other broadcasting companies, uh, one being NBC, which we you know now also know today, in order to compete with AT&T here, just so they wouldn't have kind of a, a monopoly on the, the broadcasting system. Go NBC. Would it take down the Titan? And so we should also mention that around this time now, so between, uh, you know, mid-1920s to uh 1950, uh, this was basically considered the golden era of the radio. Just because, you know, uh, the earlier broadcastings were kind of just... Uh, unkept they i mean it was just people basically in their basement trying to you know create things <laughs> just themselves but over over time with all these stations picking on up they actually started getting a handful of different programming that was coming out on an actual like regular basis uh, musicians were for the first time you know getting plays all over you know the united states or wherever they actually were at a really big thing that became popular back in the day was either running some type of like radio comedy show or some type of suspense or radio drama uh that became super super popular for the last two decades three decades pretty much of that golden era and one that i wanted to actually talk about which i almost guarantee almost all of us have heard of or at least seen the movie with tom cruise is war of the worlds and that premiered in 1938 Uh, i know that a lot of individuals have heard that when war of the worlds was broadcasted that it actually created this like super phenomenon where like people actually thought that aliens were coming to kill them and people started basically just freaking out have you heard something along those lines patrick yeah yeah definitely i i heard people were like freaking out jumping out of windows just going crazy basically is that not true yeah no uh so apparently this actually 
turns out to be one of like radio's biggest conspiracy theories. I heard the exact same thing. I thought people were literally like robbing stores, trying to get ready for Armageddon. But it turns out that it sounds like if there was a freak out, it must have been so tiny that it, you know, no one would have blinked an eye because the individual station that, you know, ran the story basically telephoned 5,000 households to get some type of national ratings as, you know, some type of survey to be able to see how many individuals listened only two percent of those calls actually said that they were listening to a radio play or to his program at all um so that means 98 percent of others that were on the call were doing something else or not listening to that and the theory as to why this like story of panic grew over the years was actually because newspapers were starting to take such a slam from the radio that they were trying to seize this as an opportunity to discredit the radio as a source of news and so they basically just over publicized saying you know that this one city pretty much just started panicking and you know freaking out because of the radio and so they were almost like trying to take it put a hit out on it yeah 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 i I don't know whose idea that was but it's i mean it's such a very good idea but I know, I know. I mean, here we are like 80-something years later, and, I mean, their lie is still known today. It's crazy. Yeah. And you said there was um, a, a movie on it, too? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you haven't seen it? I'm, I'm no. 99% sure that it was Tom Cruise that was uh, that was in on it. I think, God, that must have come out when we were we – were... Oh, wait, is that the, the aliens that are kind of – I don't know. They look pretty creepy, and they're like, ah, I don't know. I don't have a good <laughs> imitation like of them. But uh, um, I feel like now I, I I'm remembering the movie a little bit. It's like that fucking. Thing. I don't. It's not really like aliens that you really see, but they're in these like giant like robotic machines that like basically emerge from the ground. Some of like the opening scenes are like Tom Cruise is like away from his daughter or something like that and she's like at the house and all I know is that he's standing there in the middle of the street. Well so is everyone staring at this like giant machine that just ripped itself out of the ground and it starts like shooting off like these laser beams that pretty much just like disintegrate people like next to him. Oh. Um yeah and he's fucking hauling ass getting trying to get back home to get to his like daughter but by the time he like gets to her he's like so covered in like human dust that uh i don't know he like freaks out and like has to like wash himself because it's just dead people that's on him it's a weird premise to the movie because like the i maybe i shouldn't spoil this anymore for you if you want to watch it it's pretty good it's pretty good actually all right would highly recommend but yeah interesting little side bit Hmm. so where was that actually broadcast or was that like broadcast over multiple stations and it was actually like a national thing or was it just like a local radio broadcast that newspapers like blew up into some huge giant protest that happened or something like that? um i want to say that i want to say that it was a national broadcast actually but the thing was that the whole start of the story was saying that like march invaded new jersey so they were like pinpointing that part of the united states um Mm. interrupted oh, okay interrupted the columbia broadcasting systems programming to report that the planet was being invaded so yeah i'm pretty <laughs> sure it was a national broadcast but still i mean out of the five thousand people that they called <laughs> 
two percent were like listening to some play i mean five thousand people isn't really a huge amount of individuals but still two percent's quite low yeah yeah i guess from there we kind of move a little bit into what we know radio as now is just kind of playing music all the time and that became more popular with the introduction of fm radio which is frequency modulation versus the standard which was am amplitude modulation so basically that was just kind of different method for broadcasting um, but it came with a number of benefits less interference from weather and other electrical signals also crisper clearer sound and then when there were multiple radio stations within a smaller area am had both of the stations come through whereas fm receivers kind of prioritize the one that's stronger so there's less mixing of signals and then also with am having a larger range that mix of signals was actually becoming a a bigger problem just because that broadcasted so far but then it started interrupting with other broadcasts so while Mm. fm could kind of only get to a a smaller market and was actually you know more influenced by physical barriers like hills and stuff like that you know if you're ever driving through kind of some some big valleys you don't really get good signal Um, so even with those drawbacks the the benefits of the clear sound kind of over overpowered that and fm radio was invented by edwin armstrong who had went to the company i had mentioned earlier rca which was kind of the big player at the time and he tried getting support from them in order to kind of bring this to the masses just because he saw the benefit in it but the the ceo at the time didn't really have much of an interest in it and of course kind of fought <laughs> fought against it he he even said that i thought armstrong would invent some kind of filter to remove static from our am radio i didn't think he'd start a revolution start up a whole damn new industry to compete with rca <laughs> So I guess in the end, Armstrong kind of had to go more on his own and find outside investors and built a number of stations within a the 40 to 50 megahertz band, which if you're familiar with FM radio today, our stations aren't in that band. And that's because the the CEO of RCA, you know, petitioned to have FM actually move to the 88 to 108 megahertz band, which is actually what we use now. And he did mm-hmm. that in order to basically waste all the time and investment that Armstrong had put into kind of establishing all of that there. Damn. Which, this is now what we ended up with, but Armstrong in the end kind of got screwed out of basically all he had invested and actually ended up killing himself. Oh, no. Yeah, because of uh, all the stresses and, you know, that came along with kind of losing everything that he worked hard to put together. (laughs) The history of the radio is a pretty dark place for the majority of people. A lot of betrayal and, like... (laughs) losing everything you got you know it's actually i mean it's a pretty common thing for like what we've been researching is history is everyone's so ruthless it's insane yeah yeah it really is i guess from there am radio kind of started to try and fight back a little bit in 1987 the fairness doctrine was ended which basically kind of stated that radio stations had to 
produce an equal-sided fairness to what they're they're broadcasting so it couldn't be kind of biased towards one side or another of whatever kind of transmission they're doing and with the end of that there was kind of a surge in in radio stations that kind of specialized in one side i don't know if you're familiar with rush limbaugh at all and his conservative radio but that's kind of where this whole thing started of am kind of really taking on that talk show vibe and being very one-sided views and you know kind of really drawing in their audience like that because they could kind of target more so Hmm. and then moving into kind of the more modern area era even more so even fm is starting to struggle just with radio in general in norway they actually ended all of their fm radio frequency transmissions wow. you know moving to fully digital transmissions uh, which actually a majority of their citizens are opposed to but, <laughs> but, but i who guess cares that doesn't really matter yeah yeah <laughs> we're all going to the digital world center rather than later baby yeah and then i guess we're seeing that in the U.S. as well, just with streaming services and, yeah. and iPods and all of that. I guess not, iPods not being that new of a thing anymore, but <laughs> just the ability to have entertainment and music and programming at the, the tip of your fingers has really kind of changed what radio is. And now you're listening to a podcast, which is almost <laughs> a full cycle back to the AM talk shows. Hell yeah, my guy. <laughs> I don't know. It's also just like like what you were hinting at, just the convenience of being able to listen to what you want when you want. You know, like that's kind of the thing with the radio is that it's kind of like almost a hit or miss. I mean, I actually listened to the radio for the first time when I was visiting back home and just everything, every station I was playing, I was like, oh, I've heard it a million times. Oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, I don't want to do that. So we immediately plugged in the phones and just started streaming something. It's just it's just so convenient these days, you know? I, yeah. uh, I can definitely see that the radio industry would be taking a pretty thick hit. Yeah, I mean, most of the time you don't even have to have an ad with whatever you're listening to, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, on the radio that's basically all it is, which is interesting yeah, like because the original criticism to that, that model was that you you can't support it based on ads because no one's going to want to listen to it and then that's what they do for you know <laughs> and then they said watch me <laughs> tens and tens of years and now they're like <laughs> they finally got around to oh yeah everyone hates ads let's take those out <laughs> that's crazy i mean it, another thing that really took the industry for a spin was when the invention of the television came out cuz that was uh, i believe i don't have the thing in front of me but i believe 1945 and that's only, you know, 25 years into the golden era of, you know, people really figuring out the radio. Uh, so sadly, I mean, we just got this beautiful new technology and it's starting to like get the hype that it kind of deserves. And then, oh, so quickly something bigger and better comes out like always. It's just kind of like, mm, dead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it still lasted a decent while, but I don't know. You're definitely right. Streaming services are the way to go nowadays. Playing off that move to digital, the big players there were Sirius and XM Radio, which was kind of, if you're not familiar, are radio stations via satellite, uh, which require separate technology to actually access, and their model is based off of a subscription. So, you know, just kind of adds more cost to the actual consumer. 
which is is why they kind of struggled out of the gate too and eventually had to combine to try and survive and thrive but uh with the advent of streaming they've kind of become a bit more obsolete you know just a few years after kind of being implemented yeah poor guys basically threw out another avenue that was basically deemed worthless (laughs) shortly after its creation (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i i know i have it in my car but I only have it when they turn it back on randomly saying like, oh, hey, Mm. try our service for free for a little bit and see if you like it. Please come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) With that, with satellite radio, isn't it something kind of more specific? Like you can go on to like a genre almost and it'll just like play music kind of in that genre. I've only listened to it a handful of times. Yeah, yeah. They, They have a lot of stations, like a lot more than like a normal you know fm radio but i don't know i guess they're yeah they're usually like genre specific too but i'm not yeah, really sure what the good. the big appeal is especially now that you can kind of even make your own radio stations on pandora or something like that yeah yeah or create a podcast my guy <laughs> <laughs> Just to bring back some of the classics, some of the older radio programs that people used to listen to, we thought it'd be a really interesting and cool experience for our listeners to actually get a feel for, you know, maybe what some of their ancestors here were listening to uh, just a little bit ago. Uh, We did a pretty thick dive into the history of some of the radio programs and found uh, some of the best ones, in my opinion, and we're going to be playing them here very shortly at the end of us uh, actually speaking so we hope you guys enjoy and the title of the show that we deemed worthy for you guys to listen to is called will you make a bet with death it was originally written by john dickinson carr and aired about november 10th 1942 a really popular suspense radio show for its time and we hope you guys have a lovely time listening to it stay tuned The thrill of the nighttime, the hushed voice and the prowling step. The stir of nerves at the ticking of the clock. The rescue that might be too late. The crime that is almost committed. Mystery and intrigue and dangerous adventures. We invite you to enjoy stories that keep you in suspense. Can a man stake his life against $25,000? Can another and cleverer man track him down like a hunter, stalking his prey and kill him within five hours? Can you make a bet with death and win? For suspense, tonight we present Will You Make a Bet with Death by John Dixon Carr. Pony Island on a summer day. There's the beach, bright colored with bathing suits. There's the boardwalk, all straw hats and summer dresses. 
There's the Ferris wheel and the roller coaster. eating hot dogs and having a good time. And over there, beyond that souvenir shop, is the haunted mill. Get into a little boat. You float through a narrow tunnel into the dark while witches scream. But that fools nobody, does it? There couldn't be any real terror. Could there? While the bands are playing and the crowd goes by and... A unique attraction. It hurts me to see you stand there and miss this. Only ten cents, one dime, the tenth part of a dollar to go through the old haunted mill and get the thrill of your life. An overstatement, if you ask me. One ticket, please. Did you say one ticket, lady? That's right, one ticket. What's the thrill? A big pardon, lady. I said, what's the thrill? Lady, the gals who come here with their boyfriends don't have to ask that. Ten cents, please. This way and mind the gate. Thank you. right up, ladies and gentlemen. Get your ticket for the old haunted needle where ghosts will walk and pop the... Give me some tickets. Uh, just a minute, young fella. I know you want to get into the old haunted meal, but there's plenty of time. How many tickets? I don't know. You better give me ten. Ten tickets? To hear that, ladies and gentlemen? Here's a young fella who likes the old haunted meal so much, he buys ten tickets. Don't call everybody's attention. Listen, I've got a better idea. Whatever boat comes after mine, yeah. I'll give you an extra dollar to send that boat through empty. Now, what's the matter, son? The cops I ain't after you, are they? No, 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 no. It's nothing like that. Will you do it? Well, let me talk, young fellow. Okay, go ahead. Isn't there an empty boat here? Well, really? You've got such a great objection to riding in the same boat with me? Oh, I, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean that at all. Don't misunderstand. Then you'd better get in if you want to go. This boat's starting to move. <laughs> yeah, I, I... I better sit down. You certainly had. Look here, I, I... I want to apologize. That's quite unnecessary. This place is rather childish anyway, isn't it? Yes. Isn't it? But I've seen everything else, so I may as well see this. Here we go in the dark. <laughs> what was that? Uh, one of the ghosts, I imagine. From a machine. It sounded like him laughing. There isn't anybody in the boat behind us, is there? Well, I can't see. It's pitch dark. Listen, Miss... Uh, uh, Miss... My name is Andrews, Betty Andrews. If it's customary to exchange names in a place like this. Mine's Pendrel. Bob Pendrel. Did you say Pendrel? Yes. Do you know it? Oh, no, no, not exactly. It's an unusual name, that's all. I... I don't want you to think I'm out of my mind. Though I very nearly am. But I've got five hours to go. Just five hours. At the end of that time, either I'll have won $25,000 or... Or else... Or else? Or else I'll be dead. You know, I wish I'd kept you away from this boat. Well, there's nothing to get alarmed about. For you. I can't tell you much, but I had to tell somebody that or I'd have started yelling. There's just one other thing. Is there? In these places, they've usually got little dim-lighted rooms along the way. Yes, exhibits and things. Yes. Well, when we come to one, I'm going to get out of this boat and hide there. Just don't get alarmed... And don't tell anybody when you go out. Why should you do that? I think I see a light ahead. There is a light, but... Jim, too. That's all for the good. It's... Yes? We're coming around the corner. Look, I'm going to have company when I get off. A waxed dead man on a pile of straw. <laughs> oh, I hope I can stand these noises. Goodbye, Betty Andrews. I wish we'd met at a different time. Mind the boat! Here! What are you doing? Getting out, too! Don't be 
an idiot. What's the idea? You need looking after, Mr. Pendrell. And if we must hide, I suppose this is as good a place as any. I won't have it. Quick, quick. There'll be more boats along. Over behind that dead man on the straw. He'll hide us. Hurry. Now, Mr. Pendrell, in the queerest place I ever get into, please tell me what this is all about. I can't tell you. You said it yourself. If you don't tell somebody, you'll go crazy. (sighs) Maybe you're right. It's against the strict terms of the bet. But this is the last day. And I tell you, I can't hold out any longer. Oh, your voice, oh, your voice. Is the boat coming? I wonder... I wonder if you ever heard of my stepfather, John Destry. Yes? I imagine everybody has. He's a millionaire and... And I'm not. I'm just a chemist. An analytical chemist. Not very successful. Oh, if I'd had time, if I'd had money, I might have worked out a process that would have... Well, I think it would have helped in the war. But he's got money. Yes, he's got money. Well, my mother died years ago. This this Destry's a, a big, white-haired, fine-looking fellow. You'd think butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. He's got an apartment in the East 60s. Secretary, I never met her. Valet, cook, that kind of thing. Well, he used to invite me there. I wouldn't go. Then he got hold of a book I had to have. A German work on chemicals. So I went. After dinner in that study of his, over the brandy. (laughs) Oh, my dear Robert... You're quite welcome to the book. Don't mention it. Oh, uh, what do you think of this brandy, by the way? <laughs> it's excellent, thanks. Yes, yes, I thought you'd like it. And now that we're all relaxed, comfortable after dinner, tell me something. Yes, Mr. Destry? You hate me, don't you? <laughs> Frankly, I do. And always have. Good, good. <laughs> then you'll be relieved to hear I've always felt the same about you. <laughs> but tell me something else. Did you ever know me to break my word? No, I never did. I'll give you that. I asked you, Robert, because uh, I want to make a little bet with you. That is, uh, if you have the nerve, which I doubt. <laughs> I'm afraid I can't afford to make bets. Oh, you were always careless with money, Robert. <laughs> well, I've been thrifty. I saw that when your mother was alive. But you can afford to make this bet. Look here, in my desk. Well? $25,000, Robert. $25,000 in five $100 bills. And what would I have to bet against that? Your life. My life? There's the money in the drawer. Look at it. What wouldn't you give for that money? What wouldn't you give to have it for this precious work of yours that you're so fond of (laughs) and that you've failed in miserably? So far I've failed, yes. Oh, I've had a fairly good life as lives go. My heart isn't as good as it might be, but the doctors say I've... I'll last a little while yet. But before I go, there's one pleasure, one little exquisite thrill for me to experience. I want to commit a murder. Yes, I said a murder. My bet is that I can kill you within six months. And that you can't stop me. And that I'll never be punished for it. What do you say? Yes 
or no? I believe you mean that. Of course I mean it. And just how would you propose to kill me? Ah, that would be telling. You know, if I had time to think this thing over... There's no thinking it over. Now. Yes or no? Yes. <laughs> you must need the money badly, Robert. I do need it. But oddly enough, Mr. Destry, that isn't why I'm doing this. No? No. I want to show you you can't play the Lord Almighty and get away with it. Are you challenging me? Yes. You don't think I can do it? I know you can't. I, uh, we, we mustn't get excited, Robert. Uh, there will be conditions to the bet, you understand? What conditions? First of all, you'll never mention this matter to anyone. All right. That seems fair enough. You'll remain within the city limits of New York for six months. You'll spend at least one hour of every day walking the open streets alone. All right. You'll spend at least one hour every evening in your own room alone. I may come to see you, or uh, <laughs> I may not. Mm. Trying to scare me already, are you? Finally, you'll write out a little note and give it to me. There's pen and paper on the desk in front of you. Write it now. Let's hear what I have to write before I do anything like that. You will write, I am a failure. You can't stop harping on that, can you? I am a failure, and this was the only way out. I wouldn't have done it otherwise. A suicide note? Yes. I intend to use it when I, uh, <laughs> operate. And if I won't write it? Ooh. Then there's no bet. All right, I'll do it. Hmm. It's now, uh, let's see, nine o'clock on the night of January the 10th. If you're alive and not in a madhouse... Does that go into the bargain, too? Yes. At nine o'clock on the night of June 10th, given those conditions, you will receive $25,000. Can't you hear the dice rattle, Robert? <laughs> you're playing with death now. I know it. Uh, aren't you going to finish your brandy? No, thank you. Oh, then uh, pour it back into the decanter. You heard me. Pour it back into the decanter. If you were as careful as I am, you, uh, you wouldn't be where you are now. That's right. Always be thrifty. I can promise you, by the way, that you'll always be perfectly safe as long as you're in this apartment. But that's the only concession I make. Oh, I notice your hands are steady uh, at the moment. I wonder what they'll be like a month from now. <laughs> Fool enough to make a bet with John Destry. Listen, Betty. I want to tell you what else happened the same night. I got on a Fifth Avenue bus and started to look through that book that Destry gave me. It was a book that I wanted about poisons. Well, just as I opened it, I felt something sharp prick my fingers. I looked down, and my hands were covered with blood. He had sewn safety razor blades in a line down the inside edge of the cover. Oh, no. Yeah. A little white card fell out of the book. And I read it. It said, See how easy it is to take you off guard? Those razor blades aren't poisoned. 
But they might have been. Take warning. Betty, that was six months ago. Six months less five hours of careful, refined torture. And now, I've got only five hours to go. What's he done in the meantime? Nothing. Nothing? I don't understand. Nothing at all. That's the cleverness of it. He's left me waiting, waiting, waiting. Expecting something. Expecting it every hour of the day or night. Once at the laboratory where I work, I opened a box that I thought was from a chemical supply house. And the Mexican tarantula, one of those furry spiders about as big as your fist, ran out across my hand. It was a toy tarantula. He enclosed a card asking whether I didn't admire it. Bob, this can't go on. I used to think I didn't have a nerve in my body. I could hold a test tube at arm's length absolutely steady for minutes at a time. Now look at me. Don't, please, don't. But the waiting's almost over now. Walking the streets, wondering who's behind you. Sitting alone at night, listening for every step on the stair. He's got very little time left now, and he's got to do something. The question is, what's he going to do? Well, maybe he doesn't mean it. Maybe, maybe he's only doing it to scare you. And lose all that money? Oh. You don't know my stepfather. Listen. Huh? I... I don't hear anything. That's just it. There's no sound of running water. The boats have stopped. Then we're all by ourselves in here. All with him. Yes. Oh, Lord, how I wish I hadn't gotten you into this. Oh, I'm all right. Uh, Or at least I think I am. I thought I saw him in the crowd outside, but... I couldn't be sure. I'm seeing him everywhere. Now, Bob, just a minute. Just tell me one more thing. Did you ever see Mr. Destry, I mean, face to face, after that first night? Many times. He came to see you? He came to my laboratory once, yes, but mostly I went to see him. And why? Because it was the only place in the world I could feel safe. He's promised that nothing should happen to you while you were in his apartment. Don't you see? It was part of the torture. Night after night he'd invite me. And I'd go right up until last night. Last night, we were in that study of his with the devil masks on the walls. And he was sitting behind the big mahogany desk. Oh, my dear Robert, I'm pleased and uh, even touched to have you here on the last night before you, uh... uh, Before you... uh... Why don't you say die and get it over with? Oh, well, let's not say die. No? (laughs) The clergy contend that we never die. We only change. Now let that be a consolation for you. Uh, Must you be going so early? There's that one-hour-at-home rule to our bet, if you remember. I remember. You're keeping to the rule. Yes, and I mean to beat you at this if it's the last thing I ever do. The last thing I ever do. That's an unfortunate choice of phrase, Robert. My boy, you haven't a chance. Something's going to happen to you within the next 24 hours when you least expect it. Will you answer me one question? If I choose. Have you decided... How you mean to kill me? I decided that six months ago. And you still think you can get away with it? It's a method which has never been known to fail. I give you my word of honor on that. Is it... Is it... Sudden? Yes. uh, And no. 
<laughs> Wouldn't you like to know what it is? Good night, Mr. Destry. I, I think I'd better be leaving. No, no, my dear boy. You mustn't go yet. Sit down. Pour yourself a glass of brandy. No, thanks. Uh, then perhaps you wouldn't mind pouring me a little. Uh, my doctor allows brandy, though I'm forbidden spirits. <laughs> I, uh, I notice your hands are shaking uh, quite a good deal. They weren't like that six months ago, were they? <laughs> no, no. You were full of confidence then. Oh. <laughs> and it grieves me to see you waste tobacco by lighting a cigarette and putting it out immediately. Well, it's no use lying to you. But I'm going to beat you just the same. You wouldn't like to back out now? After what I've been through? You'd still have your life. I'll keep it, thanks. Mm, that's very unwise of you, Robert. Still, you must decide. Oh, I was expecting my secretary a little later to dictate some letters. But now, um, I think I'll leave her a message that I've gone to bed and uh, turn in myself. Tomorrow is likely to prove an interesting day for both of us. Here's your hat, here's your briefcase, and let me wish you a fond, peaceful, and happy good night. <laughs> less than four hours now. If I can keep away from the old devil until nine o'clock. I wish those boats would start running again. Why? Because it's almost as spooky in here as a real old mill. I know. Even that whack dummy on the straw. Any minute now. You're I... expecting to see him move? So am I. Now don't stand up. It doesn't matter. If the boats aren't running, we can hear anybody who comes along. I hope so. Do you think Destry's got in? Bobby can't have got in. He can't even be here. Why not? Because Mr. Destry told me. Mr. Destry told you. I'm his secretary. <laughs> you know, Betty Andrews, I'm sorry it was you who did this. Did what? You can't guess, can you? Oh, Bob, I didn't come here to trap you or spy on you. If that's what you're thinking, I swear I didn't. No. You only got me to tell you the whole story and lose my bet. I haven't heard a single word you said. Bob, please believe that. He didn't send you here, of course. No, no. And of course you never saw me at his apartment last no, night. No, I swear I didn't. I got there late. He'd gone to bed. I didn't even take off my hat or gloves before I left again. Don't you understand, Bob? I hate him, too. I want to see you beat him. You've got to beat him. You mean that? Look at me and see if I mean it. Betty, I almost believe you. You must believe me. And... Anything else? We better hide behind that dead man in a hurry. Those boats have started up again. I wish I could tell you, Betty, what that means to me. Come on, come on, hurry. Wait a minute, you two. But stay just where you are. Where's that voice coming from? Along the tunnel, I think. But it's not Destry's voice. No, it's a man standing up at a boat. He's coming around the corner. I can see him now. Hurry. The old haunted mill, eh? My golly, if this ain't some place to make a pinch, I never heard of one. What do you mean? Make a pinch? Just what I said. Your name Robert Penrill? Yes. Who are you and what do you want? Police headquarters. You're here to come along with me. I want to see you over in New York. About what? I wouldn't know, lady, but it might be about the murder of John Destry. Oh, no! Did you say the murder of John Destry? That's right. Somebody poisoned him last night with mercury cyanide. 
I wouldn't have got you at all, maybe, if the barker outside there hadn't thought the cops were after you to start with. Betty. Yes, Bob? He's beaten me. He hasn't beaten you. Oh, yes, he has. And I know now the weapon Destry was going to use in killing me. What weapon? It never fails. The electric chair. You mustn't talk like that. Don't you see? He never once intended to kill me in the way I thought. Are you coming quietly, Mr. Pendle? Just a minute. He's poisoned himself. But he's left evidence to show I did it. He's killing me the worst way possible. He's won the bet. The money doesn't matter now. If I'm in the death house for murder, what use have I got for all the money in the world? Let me introduce myself. My name's Mullen, Inspector Mullen. It's a pleasure to meet you, Inspector. It's a pleasure to be safe again. I've had you brought here to my office for a little quiet talk. You're in a jam, son, and I want you to realize how bad it is. You think I don't realize it? John Destry was poisoned with mercury cyanide administered in a glass of brandy. And only my fingerprints were on the glass besides his own. I can guess. Mr. Destry's body was found this morning lying behind the desk in the study. There was an empty glass with traces of brandy and cyanide. We haven't had the full autopsy report, but the smell of that stuff is pretty distinctive. Tell me uh, you're a chemist, Mr. Penderl. That's right. The boys find that eight grains of mercury cyanide are missing from your laboratory. Where he visited me a month ago. And in your briefcase, which you took away from his apartment last night... He handed it to me. I remember. We found over $1,000 in cash. Now, take a look at this note. Ever see it before? Look. Yes. I wrote it. You admit that? Yes, yes, yes. It says, I was a failure and this was the only way out. I wouldn't have done it otherwise. Where did you find it? Torn up in little bits. You started to write a confession and then you couldn't face the consequences. But you shouldn't have left the pieces behind. You're intimate, my boy. Unless. Unless what? Now, if you'd like to confess here and now, and maybe we did a little deal about second-degree murder, Oh, Inspector, why bother to string me along? What do you mean, string you along? There's no second-degree murder on a poison charge. It's the death house or nothing. He saw to that. It's too bad you had to go and kill him, son. Didn't you know he had an aneurysm? A what? Fatal heart disease. He said that he had heart trouble, but... Heart trouble. His doctor says he couldn't have lived eight or ten months anyway. And you might have got something in the will. So that's why he did it. Did what? Killed himself. You still stick to that crazy story you told the boy? He's going to kill me, isn't he? With 3,000 volts of electricity. Inspector Mullen. What are you doing here, Sergeant? Didn't I say I wasn't to be disturbed? All the same, Inspector. I thought I'd better do it. There's a young lady here, a Miss Betty Andrews. I think you'd better see her. I'll see her when I'm good and ready. And I think you'd better see her, Inspector. We've just heard from Mr. Destry's lawyer. Well? He said that that young fellow there, Mr. Pendrell, inherits 25,000 bucks in Mr. Destry's new will. Did you hear that, son? Do you see what you'd have gotten if you hadn't gone and killed him? He was keeping his promise, that's all. A fine lot of good it'll do me now. But look, Inspector, I've just talked to the medical examiner, and he says there's no poison in Mr. Destry's body. Say that again? There's no poison in the old man's body. 
If somebody's kidding you, an empty glass with the smell of mercury cyanide and a dead man with a congested face behind the mask, what did kill him then? Well, you'd like to listen to Miss Andrews, Inspector. She's right here now. I think you'd better listen, Inspector. I've been trying to tell you all afternoon. Go ahead, Miss Andrews. I've been over and over it. But until they got the medical report, nobody would listen. Can you tell us what killed John Dessery? Yes. Poison killed him. But the sergeant's just been saying there was no poison in the body. Inspector, will you listen? I was at Mr. Destry's apartment late last night. Well, so what? Uh, you didn't kill him, did you? The servant said he'd gone to bed. So I looked into the study to see if there were any instructions. Was Mr. Destry dead then? I don't know. I couldn't see his body because it was hidden behind the desk. I didn't even learn he was dead until late this afternoon. But I did see a full glass of brandy. Uh, a full glass, did you say? Yes. So I picked up the glass and poured the brandy back into the decanter. That's what he always made us do. And I didn't leave any fingerprints because I was still wearing my gloves. And that was the same glass you later found empty. But you still are not telling us what was the poison that killed John Destry. It was the poison in his own system. He worked out this plot to convict Bob Pendrell. Only just as he stretched out his hand to drink the cyanide... Inspector, I think I see it. It was his last great hour. He couldn't resist such gloating as he'd never known before. That's it. His heart wouldn't stand it. And he fell dead behind the desk. And I think, if you study the expression on his face, you'll find he died laughing. And so ends Will You Make a Bet with Death? Tonight's story of... Suspense. The part of Bob Pendrell was played by Michael Fitzmaurice. Betty was played by Leslie Woods. John Destry was played by Nicholas Joy. And in supporting roles were Ted DeCorsia and Charles Slattery. Again next Tuesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Wartime. A story dedicated to the thrill of the nighttime. The hushed voice and the prowling step. Another adventure in... Suspense. William Spear, the producer. Mark Sloeb, the director in the absence of John Dietz. And John Dixon Carr, the author. Our collaborators on... Suspense. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Are we done yet? Oh, we are. All right. Thanks for listening to What's Going On. If you have any questions that you want partially answered, write them in to what's going on the pod at gmail.com. No spaces, no apostrophes, no excuses. One more time. That's what's going on the pod at gmail.com. And we hope to hear from you soon. Please rate and subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Thank you.